Welcome to the Green Majority Podcast, folks. This is your host, Darren Kaster. Just reminding you quickly that if you can, are willing and able to support the Green Majority program, you can do that at patron.com slash greenmajority, or if you uh, don't find that, just go to greenmajority.ca and there's a link. Also, make sure you stay tuned for the bonus show today because uh, we spiritedly tear into Rex Murphy and it was a lot of fun. Enjoy the show. Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM, or possibly one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners on the podcast or now on rabble.ca as well. You pretty much can't get away from us, Devin. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we, uh, we're like Enrique Iglesias. Well, and Ronnie, you hide. Can't it, escape our love. If, if you are listening to media that is not directly funded or indirectly funded by massive corporations, there's a good <laughs> chance you're going to hear us. There you go. Yeah. No, don't expect us on, uh, on CBC anytime soon. <laughs> Uh, so what we're going to be doing today is something really abnormal. Hmm. We're going to be taking it easy a little bit today. So I've, I've taken my boxing gloves off. Steph and I encourage you to take your boxing gloves off. I, I had to bring them all the way here. You should have told me earlier. I know. Oh, but I'll survive. Please. Also, Brenna is joining us. Hey, everyone. <laughs> and, uh, and we're going to take a little bit easy today. So we've been doing a lot of really heavy politics. We're, it's unavoidable. Uh, but today I have a really special feature. So we had a, uh, so I'll, I'll just, let me just tell a brief story about how we, came, how we came into this. So, uh, I, I work for the center for social innovation. So does Stefan. And, uh, during the uh, pursuant to my duties while I was at work, uh, I met a teacher. Her name is Leanne. And, uh, we got to, t- to a talking and it turns out that she works with a bunch of uh, students who were current, who were doing some, uh, doing, doing an environmental project. So they're turning, uh, claymation, into little videos using iPads, and they were doing it on endangered species. So we got to a talking, and it turned out that it was going to work out that we were going to get them uh, in here on the radio as a, as a show. So they had a little contest, and the winners of the contest were going to come in. So they did that a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're going to play that audio today. So I, I'm really not going to give it too much more of a setup. Um, this is uh, the teacher. Intro- I'll let the teacher, uh, let Leanne do the uh, the full introduction, and we'll listen to the kids, and then we'll come back and listen to it because there's basically there's well there's three reasons I said we'd go ahead with this, uh, and having listened to it. So the first one was this is just neat. We don't get to do this very often. Let's you know let's stop. T- <laughs> this is probably going to end up being the title of the show, but let's stop thinking of the children. And let's actually listen to them. Hmm. We're going to do that this week. So that's one. Two. Um, I thought they had some really interesting things to say um, that I think are worth unpacking a bit. Uh, and three, I wanted a week off from ranting. So we're, this is going to be a very calm show. So let's do that. Let's, we're going to go right into it. So this is, uh, I, I'm not going to give it any further introduction. Let's just, let's just open our ears to, um, to, some, to some local kids. Let's go. We'll take, it, we'll take it away with that. Hi, my name is Liani Paixão. I'm a teacher at Holy Cross Catholic School. And uh, during our first term, the theme of our unit was Protégeons uh, l'environnement, let's protect our environment. And I wanted to give the students a final task that would be relevant, engaging, that would give them a chance to apply their French skills to address a real-world problem and at the same time help them develop 21st century competencies and exercise citizenship. This seems to be quite an ambitious task, but it's not as unattainable as it may sound. 
And um, after some thinking and after getting a better sense of what my students' interests were, I came up with the idea of producing the Festival Cinéma Animé. So the festival is basically a 100% online animation contest that aims at promoting, promoting the French language while encouraging students to use tech skills to, um, to, to promote public awareness of environmental issues. This was the festival's first year, and we focused on Ontario endangered animal species. So over a period of three months, my grade five, six core French students worked in groups of two to produce 30 second animation slash uh, public announcements on uh, an Ontario endangered animal of their choice. So besides learning French vocabulary and language structures they could apply to their project, they also learned about how to create a storyboard and how to shoot a stop motion animation using iPads. Then the animations were posted online on a website where people could view and vote on their favorite production. And uh, students were encouraged to use social media to spread the word about the site and try to get as many likes as possible. And besides receiving special certificates of participation as a prize, the producers of the two most voted animations would also have the honor to be here on, on the Green Majority Show uh, talking about what they did and what they learned. So I would say that besides knowledge construction in terms of 21st century competencies, our biggest focus was the use of technology to support their learning and empower um, the kids to create something in response to a real issue that affects, that affects our environment, that affects us as a community. And now we're going to hear from the students who won first and second places at the festival. Hi, my name is Jan, a grade 5 student from Holy Cross Catholic School. I'll be um, talking about the stop motion. So for me and Eden, it took a week or two to finish a 30-second stop motion. We had to retake five times, which made me and Eden panic. It was really funny. Um, when we were making stop motion, it's really hard because you have to move the clay piece by piece and stuff and take pictures. And we only had like 30 minutes every day. One of my favorite things about the project was experiencing how to edit and make videos like people on YouTube and using those skills to create something that was useful. Something that could help others learn about problems that affect our animals here in Ontario. The French, the French name of the animal is Pauline Oranger and its English name is Orange Warbler. We chose that and that animal because our favorite animals are birds. We, um, we learned that the warbler eats insects and it's found in Ontario, north of Ontario, near Lake Erie in the forest. The animal is endangered because their habitat is being destroyed. Me and Eden and I's message in our animation was for people to preserve our forest and not to cut down our trees. 
Hi, my name is Eden, and I'm a grade 5 student from Holy Cross Catholic School. The goal of this project was to help bring awareness at, of animals in Ontario that are endangered, and the reason they are becoming endangered is because that their habitat is being destroyed. And if one animal in our food chain is extinct, it affects everybody. It will affect us who are on top of the food chain. And we do want to have a world with living creatures, with plants, and animals. Hi, my name is Victoria Godino, and I'm a grade 5 student from Holy Cross School. During our first term, the theme of our French unit was Le Environnement et Moi, The Environment and I, where we learned some basic facts about things that destroy our planet, like air pollution, toxic, and waste and how we can help protect our planet, for instance, by recycling and reusing paper and plastic or buying green products. For that, the unit, our final project was about Ontario animal species that are endangered. So we had to learn about their habitats, then make an animation about some of the things that were threatening them. So in order to create the animation, first we had to do some research to create a three-scene storyboard. The first scene was about the animal in its natural habitat. The second scene had to have one or two of the elements that were threatening it. And finally, in the third scene, we had to propose a solution we also had to come up with a sentence in French for the narration encouraging people to take action and help protect the animal. Then we used plastic, plasticine, and iPads to create our animation. It took us about a month. I thought the project was a good idea because we got to learn about animals we didn't even know were endangered or threatened. I learned that we need to protect them because their extinction could affect us since we're all connected and we could help change the world even even if we're not adults. My animation was about the barn owl and it's important to protect animals like the barn owl because they haven't done anything to us. So why should we harm them? If I could take this project farther, I'd probably want to raise money and do more to help the barn owl because Everyone and everything matters. Hello, my name is Ruel, and I'm in grade 6. And I'm Jason, also in grade 6. Jason and I worked together in a French animation project. We chose to do our project on the wood turtle. Through this project, we learned a lot of things about the species that we didn't even know existed. We learned that the wood turtle prefers clear rivers, streams, or creeks with a slight current and sandy or gravelly bottom, and that it prefers to live in wooded areas, but they they also found in other habitats such as wet meadows, swamps, and fields. We also learned some interesting facts, like, for instance, wood turtles are one of the few kinds of Ontario turtles that do not need to be underwater to swallow their food. We found all those facts on, on the website of the Ontario Ministry of 
natural resources, which had information about endangered species in our in Ontario. Then our teacher showed us how to create a storyboard using the French vocabulary. We learned. We had to learn in class. After we put together the storyboard with the sentences and drawings of our three main scenes, we had to create an animation, which would be shared online. So the goal of our animation was to make people aware of the of the danger of the dangers that were threatening the survival of the wood turtle. Unfortunately, Ontario's wood turtle are at risk mostly because of the loss of its habitat. Once we were done with the animation, which took us a pretty long time to create, our teacher posted everyone's production on a website, and we got to sh- and we got to share our work with everyone, not only with our classmates, but with anybody who around the world that clicked on our link. I'm glad I was able to do this project because I learned many skills I'm use- I may use in the future, like claymation. I also learned more about this species, what it what it likes, what it eats, where it lives, etc. My experience of this was like a roller coaster. At first, I was pretty sad that we had this big project due, but then I had fun with it when we were making the claymation. And now I'm here at a radio show where hundreds or even thousands of people could be listening to me. And that's why I'm so glad to have been able to experience this. I'm glad too because if we didn't finish this animation, we couldn't go on this radio station. So we had troubles with the animation. The characters kept on falling, and and I learned a lot from this, this animation and the wood turtle, like like where it lives and how hard it is to do animation. All right. So comments, Brenna. That makes me want to thank my. Uh my grade seven teacher in ecology and biology and took us out on outdoor ed classes and things like that because I think even a, clearly this single teacher is like making these these kids think like the one we can make a difference even though we're not adults <laughs> yeah so I think I think um so the the first thing that we have to say, of course, was uh, thank you to um, to all of the kids and, and thank you to Leanne Paxow from the uh, Holy Cross uh, Catholic School. Um, it was a real pleasure to have them in and, and we're happy to do it again. So uh, we'll take this opportunity as well. If there's other teachers doing cool things and you want to send us an email, feel free to do that. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what they were talking about. Um, so there was a few things in there. Of course, from, uh, there was a there was a key line talking about, uh, I think, that there's a few things I want to unpack. But of course, the first one was just the idea of, well, what did we do to them? <laughs> and... Um, and that's great, and 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 I think that's the sort of thing where you know people who like you know the people in the studio and and you know who sort of work in this area go yeah exactly like that's that's not our entire point but that's part of it and that's sort of the that's that's sort of where this stuff comes from is it's 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 from a sense of empathy of you know uh, we should be not worried about just ourselves and and I sort of feel like I, I you know sad that I have the job of possibly in, informing the kids who are likely listening right now that unfortunately. That's not how everybody thinks. Um, but the good news is they're wrong and you're right. And I just want you to know that. Um, but and so I just, there was one thing I just wanted to talk about that with that, which was the um, the idea of and, and not necessarily with reference to exactly what the what the kids were saying, but this idea of 
childishness mm-hmm. and and people using that as a as a, as an insult right and so kids are allowed to be childish because they're saying you're kids um but there's a little bit of what people mean by that and the, when people say things are childish there's two different things they mean by that uh one of them was what they means is that it's uh it's a, a very simplistic understanding of something and when and uh generally if you hear an adult say that to you i'm just addressing the kids now if you hear an adult say that to you uh they're not necessarily trying to insult you, but they're, what they're trying to say is is that that you don't have a full understanding of something, and they're trying to be polite. Um, but in this case, they're wrong. <laughs> in this case, they're wrong. You do have the full understanding of something. All of the rest of the baggage that's on top of that is the complication factor that gets adults confused. So as you grow up, you know you're going to learn a lot of other things. You're going to change your mind about a lot of things, but it should still remain informed by this stuff. You have the correct understanding. It's the adults who got distracted, and don't you dare lose it because you're right. And don't let anyone tell you that you're wrong. That's my comment, and Stefan. I, I just love the idea of of the kid test to some extent. You know, you know, like uh, just the idea of like if you ask why over and over and over again until you get to another, it's like it's the kid test. You uh-huh. know, like so specifically on the on the on the one on the one little girl's point about 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 trying to protect the animals because what do you do to them? Like, I, what I love about that is, like, I'm going with my head, what response to be? Well, it was like, well, we're not actually out to hurt the barn animals. We just needed to have, you know, we just destroyed their habitat to to build this thing. Why? Well, because people needed to live in houses. Why? Well, because, like, you know, like, like why build them there? Well, because of this. And it's sort of like this, you, you get to this point where you're like, at some point you're like, well, because of the economy. Yeah. Or so as, because jobs. And you get to these weird high-level things, right? You get these high level concepts really quickly of as trying to explain to these, you know, and like, yes, of course, there's going to be, you know, like there are now 7 billion humans on the planet. You know, there will be more habitat destruction than if there were not 7 billion, which there were, you know, hundreds of years ago. So at some point, like there's some truth to the fact that humans will inherently have to encroach on on things. But then sort of the idea of like, well, why aren't we doing everything to be as limited? Like, why aren't we doing our best to not hurt other things? Yeah, uh, is is where you sort of fall apart into this sort of like you have to basically say because I don't want to like yeah. that's eventually eventually you get to that <laughs> point eventually get to the point is like well we just didn't feel like it was going to be worth it so we didn't do it yeah so and I mean that's a, that's the thing and uh, that I that I want to uh, my lesson moment I guess for for the kids that may be listening uh, as well as that you know if 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 you say you know if you talk about this or if you talk about you know the climate or protecting the environment or protecting endangered species. And something, and, and somebody says to you, and likely this will be an adult that will say this to you, say, well, you know, you'll understand when you're older. What I want you to say to them is, maybe, but are you sure you aren't rationalizing? Hmm. Maybe you'll have to go look that word up. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if these kids are. No, no, no. Right. But like the concept is important because right. what's, that's what Stefan was talking about, right? Because when we get, you know, when, when adults grow up and they get busy and they have, you know, jobs and family, they get very distracted. And so there's, there's problems that, that are complicated. And just because you grow older doesn't mean you get answers to those problems. And so as grow up, as people grow up, many times what they do is they'll do something called rationalizing. And what that basically means is it's a very fancy word for saying, I don't have an answer to that and not having an answer or the answer that seems true at a, at a very basic level to be right is inconvenient. So I'm going to find a way to make it not true. So, so when you say, well, barn owls aren't hurting us, so why are we hurting them? You say, well, you don't understand economics. Okay, that's true, but you're also rationalizing, which is that doesn't change the fact that we shouldn't be hurting other species. And it's just too complicated for you, so you're going to pretend it's not a problem or you're going to say it's not important or you're going to say you'll understand when you're older. That's a way of avoiding the perfectly valid question, why are we harming other life? And if they tell you anything about you'll understand later, 
tell them they're rationalizing, even if you don't entirely know what that word means, because you'll be correct. <laughs> I think a little bit too childishness can be conflated with idealism mm, or yes. optimism. Yes. And if that's the case, I would much rather be childish than a pessimist. <laughs> well, look at, I mean, look at all the attacks on, on you know, Bernie Sanders, people, all the attacks on mainstream media, and largely the people who are going to be, have their taxes increase. Let's remember this, that the people that are, that are trying to dismiss Bernie Sanders are the very people that are probably going to get a tax increase. That's why they're telling you it's bad, because they're going to lose money, not you, them, right? So they have an incentive to to give you um, misinformation about that. And that's a, a lot of the way that's what it is, is you're going to make my life harder. So I don't want to acknowledge that you have a valid point of view. Uh, and and the fact is, is that, you know, we're, we're well into this, we're well into this system, and it has a lot of things. And it's hard, like, you know, people say, it's like, um, when I took my urban studies class, uh, you know, be like, well, the reason we don't have any class on how to design a perfect city when you do urban studies is because that's a situation you are never in. It's useless. It's a thought experiment, but practically it's useless because you always have to work with what you've got. We've we've developed about as much land on this planet as as you we're well. Let me rephrase that. We're well past developing the amount of land on this planet that is safely uh, beyond the safe limits of how we can balance you know with our natural environment. We're well into well past the safe limits of that. So there's really there's really not going to be many opportunities to design the perfect city from scratch. We have to work with what we've got. Uh, but at the same point, I I don't think it's um, so, I, so I don't think it's practical to to sort of talk about you know what would be in a di- an ideal scenario. So if we got to st- wipe the board clean, but at the same point, I think what we have to do if you're trying to solve a problem is you have to talk about the actual causes of that problem, right? And so that's why we're saying, and that's maybe we'll get into Rex Murphy a little bit later, maybe we won't, but that's sort of what I don't understand about you know so much of the misunderstanding about these conversations about uh, oil infrastructure in Canada is be like, well. You, you, you're anti-oil there and, and Albertans and mainly Albertans get jobs from oil. Therefore, if you're anti-oil, you're anti-Albertans. Mm-hmm. And wait, so who are you saying is the childish one now? That seems like a really simplified <laughs> – that's, that's a simplification of an understanding of problem. We have a problem. The problem is there's carbon in the atmosphere. We are producing something that's really carbon intensive. So the fact that people are making – they are employed in that industry – does that take everything off the table? So great. Okay, so we learned that uh, uh, something we've put, you know something we're we're pumping into the air or something we're putting in the water uh, is poisoning everyone and it's going to give everybody cancer. But it employs a lot of people. Guess we can't do anything about it. Well, like this, the, it's, it's it's a silly argument. It's a silly argument, and it's usually the people making that argument that are the first to accuse others of not understanding or needing to grow up, and it's and it's just so frustrating. Well, there's an exa- and there's an immediate example of that. Uh, we. St- to my knowledge, and I, they might have stopped in the last couple of years. Canada still produces mines and sells asbestos. Yeah, like we've banned it. We know it kills people, yeah. and yet we're selling, we're exporting it still. Yeah. Uh, like it might have had, might, we might have stopped in the last two years. I haven't actually, I haven't followed up on this. Uh, but like, talk about something that we everyone accepts. Like, if you have asbestos in your house, you have to like have these. Like, it's a massive health hazard. It's a biohazard. It's yeah. a huge thing, yeah. and yet. It's and yet we're you know it's this it's it's it's, it's well, well it employs a bunch of people uh, and therefore we must keep doing it yeah it's like well, what did, what did everyone else who were selling asbestos do to us yeah so we're we're a little past where we normally take a break there but I, I was just enjoying the conversation so maybe we'll do, just to wrap up and we'll go to um, to Alex now who's going to introduce our our music break here um, so um, just by way of saying was that uh, you know as a as a recap. Um, we're absolutely happy to have the students of Holy Cross Catholic School come in. Um, I think that they had a devastatingly accurate understanding of what's going on, uh, and I encourage them to continue the good work. And uh, maybe we'll hear from them again. But uh, thanks so much for that. 
Uh, we're going to come back in just a moment and talk about a little bit more news here on the Green Majority you're listening to. Currently, if you're listening live, you're listening on CIUT 89.5 FM. You could also be listening on the podcast off the website on rabble.ca or at many other of our community radio partners across the country. If you're listening on the podcast, though, there's a bonus show just to remind people. So uh, the, you get a little bit extra content if you if subscribe to the podcast. But without further ado, Alex. Thanks, Darren. Um, I want to talk about the uh, the Wavelength Music Festival that's coming up this weekend in Toronto. Uh, it's happening tonight uh, through to Sunday, uh, February 12th to February 14th. And the Festival HQ is going to be at the Garrison, uh, Dundas West. And uh, I wanted to play a couple bands today that are performing at Wavelength Music Festival, including my own, Versa, which we're going to hear from second. Uh, but this first one is Merganzer. It's a Toronto-based violinist uh, and a, her experimental pop project. So this is a song called Mirror Maze, and it just came out a couple months ago. And Merganzer's on uh, tomorrow, Saturday, at 4.45 at Markham House. And we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, which I forgot to say, I realized mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT with Darren Kaster. Stefan Hostetter's here as well with me. Hi, Dom. And uh, Brenna Owen, who's in the studio. We have a slightly reduced crew. We, we've had a very big crew in the studio, so it feels a bit empty today, even though there's three of us sitting here. But uh, a few of our co-hosts will be back soon as well. So uh, don't worry, those additional voices are, are still around. But for now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over to Stefan because um, you, you have some prepared thoughts, I understand. Yeah, well, so in, the, in last week's bonus show, uh, Sabina, who hasn't been on the regular show, but one of our, one of our co-hosts who we're, we're working with right now, uh, asked a very simple question. And in, in, uh, what I was interested about, about by, by the question was it was very earnest because uh, she just listened to our entire show about the, the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, and I'm sorry, children, if you're still listening. I'm going to say that word a bunch. Uh, and so uh, you get to learn about trade deals. Um, but and it, you're, you're welcome to listen, but here's where you'll be uh, forgiven for Yes, for exactly. Although, although there is a whole bit about cheerishness, childishness, and, and seriousness uh, that I'm going to get to. Um, but it was a very earnest question. Uh, you know, she was very, very... It wasn't one of those things where it was like – often people ask a question and it's just more of a statement. Uh, and the question was, why would anyone support this? Um, and most often you hear that from someone. They're probably they're, – what they're stating is, I don't support this, not an actual question. Uh, and and, and, I, and I, I would try to answer it last week and I didn't think I did a good enough job. Uh, and so I wanted to actually try to better answer it this week. And – uh, the way it ties into seriousness uh, and childishness is that uh, what I wanted to call this piece was that the environment isn't serious business. Um, because as I looked into this uh, and looked into the TPP, some things became very, very clear. The first is there are a whole bunch of economists who supported NAFTA, uh, which included a whole bunch of things that are part of the TPP uh, that people are currently driving by the TPP but also was in NAFTA. Uh, who have actually switched sides and moved away from the TPP uh, 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 while still supporting NAFTA, um, and so and that and that and that, that fascinated me alone. Uh, to, you know, Paul Krugman is on this list. Joseph Stiglitz is on this list. A bunch of the sort of democratic uh, economists uh, have moved away, and and yet the and so the leaves of people who are pitching for it are all, uh, the reason why they're sell, trying to sell it is also very interesting. Um, so the reason why the, the original point is that. 
this trade deal and in, 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 in this trade deal, uh, the TPP specifically, and to some extent NAFTA, but much more TPP, um, isn't really actually about free trade. Uh, almost every argument I've found about it doesn't really touch too much on free trade. Uh, you know, that's the sort of that's the guys. But uh, there's a fascinating article that was released um, by someone who used to work for the Obama administration about about, about this about this deal. And in it, he's. He basically went through all of these problems with the deal, but then ended up basically making a case that what it really is is foreign policy. Mm. Uh, that the TPP isn't so much a trade deal as it is foreign policy, and that uh, in that th- the administration and the United States government has actually failed in a couple other attempts to be more involved in the in global trade. They're not a part of this a- of an Asian bank that China's a part of, and that this really is a a a pushback against China's power within the global, the global sphere. Uh, I just want to jump in for a minute because I like the way you put that. Uh, so as, a, as an illustration, because you know that my, my whole gimmick is metaphor mm-hmm. and whatnot, um, would be a uh, comparison would be NATO, right? right? Except it's instead of a military alliance, it's a corporate alliance. Mm-hmm. But it, it still very much functions like a like NATO does, right? It's, it's a group of uh, countries uh, that you know theoretically are, have agreed to back each other up. Although apparently we've seen occasionally that there's a little more complicated than that. Um, but this is very much the same, except instead of governments whose primary concern is to keep the peace, or at least you know have a unified uh, force uh, to try and create peace by intimidation of like don't you know don't mess with us because all our buddies are with us. Mm-hmm. Um, except that it's not governments; it's corporations that are doing it. And and I think that that it's. You know, <laughs> their motives are very different, and their your motives matter. Right. So, so just uh, just to, to bring that back a little bit, the like this is yeah th- yeah this was largely this was a deal largely uh, largely talked about by corporations and corporations really. Uh, what, what's interesting about this deal was it was really actually built up as a bunch of bunch of small groups within every single country making their case for their for their particular weird thing. Uh, and the and, and the and the and the full text is so long, um, and and in it you might have like four lines that really really matter to uh, to to one industry, uh, and that was their entire reason of being there. And four lines for someone else, and and, and so you get this massive conglomerate of it's, business. It's the Harper omnibus trick. Uh, Let's put four thousand things in there, and three of them are the one that we actually uh, uh, are really trying to. But we know that there's going to be negative repercussions to them. So let's go get some creative writer to write a bunch of nonsense for three hundred pages about things that don't really matter, so we can sneak this in the middle of it. It's also like putting a pill in, in a strawberry and feeding it to your dog. <laughs> um, but like, but, but, but like, but, but the real point of these sort of uh, of these of these. Um, like it, it built up, such, it built up people supporting it, and it, it's also fascinating to read the people who don't support the TPP. Uh, you know, the, uh, I'm, to, to, my, to my understanding, Ford still doesn't support it, and there are a bunch of larger corporations who don't support it because there isn't the right protections for them. Um, at, uh, the tobacco industry hates it because we carved the they carved out of the deal, uh, and so and you go through all these sort of things about how. What this really is, and it's interesting, it, there's a whole, there's a certain level of it which is, is just reducing tariffs, and there's all these different tariffs that are being reduced. But it's not a, it's not what a economist would really want to see. If economists really wanted to have a, a good free trade deal, everyone would just unilaterally drop all their tariffs and then just let it run amok. Um, and because that's the sort of that's the easy that's the most simple way for uh, f- uh, f- to reduce protectionism without sort of having this sort of vested interest that exists. But the world is way too complicated for that. Um, and in in one of the articles that's written by the by the Obama the previous Obama president, 
Uh, he said that like one of the reasons why you can't do that is like Japan is really uh, has a has a has a historic attachment to rice farms, so they will never reduce their uh, their tariffs on on imported rice. So, for example. Um, and so what this ends up being is a con- is a conglomerate of, of of little gives and takes from all these different industries, and it's a very specific. Uh, and so people, so people all across these places will like. There's certain number of people all across the world will support it. Um, and what's also interesting is that, like, I want to just go into two of the things that are, are that are sort of activists' main contention points, uh, and then explain why, to some extent, uh, the the argument against those two things. Uh, the first is uh, that well, how could you support this if you didn't? Um, uh, if, if all these things so they're going to be moving job, we'll lose jobs. Trade deals aren't really about jobs. Uh, and what's fascinating about this is that when you when you look when you read the sort of economist arguments, their their basic understanding is that uh, the the control of of of, of different uh, the, the government has so much more other types of ways to increase and decrease job control that losing fifty thousand jobs because of a trade deal is so minor in comparison to the control that that its country has, uh, that that argument doesn't even factor in for an economist's understanding. Mm. Um, and, and the second one uh, is, is, more, is more, which we talked about a bunch, is the sort of understanding of investor state uh, is, uh, suing each other. Uh, and basically, you know, corporations can sue the government, governments. Um, and what's also fascinating is the reason why they're in place, or the, sort of the pitch about why they're in place, which, is, uh, which I think it needs to be aired. Is not so much to help, not so much to, not so much for the large companies or the large, the large countries, because large countries uh, a don't get sued that much, b are way bigger than you really fully understand. Uh, like I looked this up, uh, Canada is Canada's country, which is relatively, you know, we're a, we're a medium-sized country, I think. Our G, we we are about four point five times bigger than the biggest company in the world. You know, like if you just presumed all country, all companies were countries, uh, you're looking at about the, the largest. An, an argument I could make. Yeah, for another show. Well, for sure. Um, uh, the largest, com- the large company, Walmart, is about the size, about, has about the same output as Norway, hmm. um, and and Canada is about about four times that size. Hmm. Uh, so to some extent, you know, it's as much as it, as much as we want to sort of, as much as it, we can, we can be framed as uh, big companies versus the people. Countries still have a level of of overt power um, uh, that that is pretty, that is proven. Hmm. Um, and to go down from that, when you talk about the number of it, what's interesting is to watch economists are so uh, sort of blasé about investor state solution, uh, uh, investor state um, uh, suits, uh, because of the fact that when you look at sort of the, what, the point of them, which is I, which is fascinating, is that the goal is that with these except with these pieces in place, um, it, what it, the goal is to actually drive investment into smaller countries because the concern, the reason why they weren't being invested in the first place, is that the government would suddenly do something random like uh, we are now own the oil industry, uh, which Venezuela has done, um, and then and then and then and then and so and so the companies won't invest because they're concerned of that kind of thing, that sort of obvious overt power that, that you know that anyone would would anyone would accept is not uh, should not be done by a state. You know, a state like as much as we sort of don't want corporations, we just don't also don't think that corporation a state should just come in and say like we now own your business goodbye. Um, and we're, we, I think most people would accept that. 
uh, you know, if you're a communist, you should think we should do exactly that. But uh, un- understanding the usual, in most cases, most of the time, asterisks. Exactly. Yes. Of course. Um, and, and so that's the goal. The goal. What's fascinating about this is the goal is to actually drive investment in these solar states to give the companies actual assurances that they won't be hurt by these sort of things. And then so and then we take it sort of like, well, it's attack on democracy on the other side. Um, and you know, as much as as much and and then and expanding that is a is a slippery slope. Really, really, it's a sl- the, the slippery slope argument is is the strongest we're going to come up with, because even with even under, under NAFTA, we've been sued the most times, uh, which is often quoted. What isn't quoted is that it's that's thirty five times, and and to my understanding, we've lost once, um, which is like again, and the United States has never lost and only been sued eleven times. So for us, like. And what's offensive is these things are so much like as it always is. It's way less important for the, us, the big people, than the small countries that are getting involved in this because they're the ones who really actually can't afford to fight back. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, if there was a really egregious uh, violation, we could pretty easily put our foot down. Um, and of course, the concern is yeah. Uh, of course, the concern is that you know, as more you expand, 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 then at some point you get a tipping point, and then that's and you, at that point it's too late, which is obviously a fully valid argument. But I think it's important to at least get to that part. All right. So, um, so sorry. Uh, sorry. Yeah. So I just I had a couple quick things. We're getting yeah. uh, close to where we should take a second uh, break. Did you want? Do you want to? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, like, so what? 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 what I want to get back. Want to get back to after this sort of with, with all that understanding. I want to sort of get back to to. Well, say you you now accept these things or know these things more things, but you want to really, but it's still you think it's a bad thing. Why is it still a bad thing? And what's fascinating is why were these economists who were before who were on side of NAFTA now against the TPP, which I think is really the conversation we need to understand. Mm. Uh, and what it comes down to is uh, is the IP protections, intellectual property protections. Those are the things uh, and and the and those extensions and the idea that this is really isn't a free trade deal, but really a chance to expand some of these other other interests and expand. Really, honestly, the government is seeing corporate government. The like corporate America is, see, is is still America. Is sort of the pitch, um, and, and 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 like as we said last week, and I'm going to say it again. When uh, Doctors of the Borders slash MSF, they're the same company or same nonprofit slash charity, uh, are against something, listen. Uh, because they don't really take political stances. They're very intentionally not political, and yet they come out against this one specific thing. Uh, that's, beca- that's the without borders part. Yes, exactly. Doctors without borders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and, it's the f- and I think that, the, I think that the, these extensions of this intellectual property, especially on, uh, on, uh, on drugs, uh, but, uh, but all throughout, throughout the whole thing, um, is the Achilles heel of, of the TPP. And if we're going to win, uh, to some extent, I think we need to like tone down some of our other rhetoric and just become a microphone for the people who sort of have this sort of like it's literally killing people uh, or will kill people argument because it's very accurate and is the reason why even economists are sort of backing away from this deal. Mm. Um, and so that's what I, uh, that's what sort of why I wanted to end on was this idea that if we're going if we're going to be attacking the TPP, yes, we need to understand all the other things, but I really think that intellectual property is the place where. Uh, where it is the weakest, uh, and is where it's it's already lo- it's losing economists on one side, and um, and killing people on the other side. Uh, so if it's going to go down, it's going to go down on IP laws. And so I think as environmentalists, the strongest thing we can do is back that up, uh, and and become a microphone for for the for the uh, you know or the arrow to some extent to that Achilles heel. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, yeah, no, I largely agree. And, and as I said, we should, we should move on to a break and we're going to keep talking about this, but just a couple of thoughts and literally like sort of just sort of teases for maybe things we could come back to another time. Uh, well, one of them is, uh, so one of them was just sort of, one of the things to, to sort of think about in addition to that was, um, you know, how many of these rules are one directional? 
right? So, um, for instance, there's limited liability. When we have a, an, a pipeline spill or an oil spill or anything like that, there's a, there's a limit. There are laws in place to limit how much liability a company can do. And guess what? The public pays for the rest of it. And, uh, and guess what further? In most cases, it's less than half. The taxpayer pays more. Yeah, again, in most cases, most of the time, the taxpayer pays more significantly more in many cases than the company who caused the problem in the first place. So somebody can cut corners, save costs, create a giant environmental disaster, cost tons of money. The public pays more for it. And guess what? Here's the kicker. Because the uh, country spent money, GDP goes up, even though we spent that money to clean up an environmental disaster that's hurting the citizens. That makes it look like the economy is doing better. So what I'm wondering is, you know, people should be wondering about them is, Okay, we can we can have there's two conversations you can have here. You can have a conversation about uh, should these powers exist? Should should there be such things as limited liability? And the other the other question to have is, okay, regardless of what types of rules we decide are good rules, what argument can you make for only one of those two parties having those powers? And further to that point, why would you under what circumstance would you ever say that a uh, a multinational corporation should have powers that governments don't that allow them that that give them more power than governments because essentially you're saying that you believe that that companies whose whose only legal requirement is to maximize profit should be in a more powerful position than maybe an imperfect maybe it's really you know maybe there's a lot of uh, uh, waste maybe we you know there's all sorts of problems with government but at least their intention is to at least it's set up to try to protect people. Maybe it doesn't do a good job very often, but at least that's its intention versus giving power saying, okay, well, it's, it's, it's not very efficient at that job. So let's take power away from that institution and give it to someone whose job is the, is something that is completely divorced from that and is frequently in conflict with that. And that's the part of this, just a, like sort of a, like a, not even, I don't want to say emotional because that sort of makes it seem like there, this is a, this, there's less, this is a vapid point. It's not, it's, this is very, at its core, at its core, we're talking about two different parties and trading power between them. And we're taking one that's imperfect, but at least is, is designed to protect and help us and giving it to someone who has a motive to not do that in almost all cases. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to. And we should be, need to be having a discussion about should anyone have these types of powers? And if they do, what's your argument for someone that for giving it to corporations and taking it away from countries. It's really that simple. And we can get into the diff- and we can get into the weeds, we can get into the details and all that stuff. And the other thing I'll just do as a throwaway, we'll come back to it later, is that a lot of the time, you know, uh, where this the, the money issue comes in, maximizing profit, blah, 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 is playing currencies off each other, right? And that's where a lot of these markets have. So just as a thought experiment, just think for a minute, uh, what would happen if we just had one global currency? Not global government, just one global currency, and there was no, no money could be made by simply making bets for and against individual countries. What kind of a world would that be? Interesting. Maybe we'll come back to it. Brenda, do you have a quick thought before we go to break? Uh, no. no. Okay, not, so we'll, not we'll, till afterwards. <laughs> we'll, we'll lead with you when we come back to sure. the break. So you're li- listening to The Green Majority, very sort of relaxed, but also very philosophical today uh, here at CIUT 89.5 FM, our, one of our wonderful community radio partners all the way across the country, now in the U.S. as well, on the podcast, as well as on Rabble.ca, on the podcast, uh, Rabble Podcast Network. But without further ado, we're going to go back to Alex, who's going to tell us about our second and final music break. Alex. Thanks, Darren. Um, so yeah, we're just talking about uh, the Wavelength Music Festival this weekend and a bit of shameless self-promotion. My band Versa <laughs> is uh, performing at the festival. Uh, we're performing Saturday, February 13th at 8 p.m. Um, so yeah, check out our song, Waited Long Enough. Here it is. 
right. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. We're running a little tight on time. We've been having such a, a, a sort of a relaxed show here. We've been uh, a little bit neglectful of the clock. So, well, I'm not going to apologize. We had fun. <laughs> Sticking to it. Good show. Brenna, however, has been uh, uh, like mostly silent for a large part of the show today. So, Brenna, I'm going to leave but basically the last section to you. So go ahead. Well, I've been pestering Darren, actually, because I really <laughs> would like to talk a little bit about this Rex Murphy um, op-ed, I guess, in uh, in CBC. Um, I have a few bones to pick with this, this uh, opinion. Um, you know, <laughs> the most significant of one is, is that he... Um, he calls he points to dim-minded celebrities, including David Suzuki, the David Suzukis, and the Neil Youngs. Oh, sorry, I just want to jump in. So, if you're listening and you're and you're not sure what Brenna is talking about, uh, just stop. If you're listening oh, on a podcast, stop right now and go read the article yeah. posted on the website. Read anyway, at the ahead. same time. Um, the, just the name of the article is uh, okay. Rex Murphy on Calgary. Where are the city's allies? Yes. So as I apologize. Um, <laughs> so he points to the Neil Youngs, and then. Um, says Neil Young compared working in the oil patch to Hiroshima. And then below this is a picture of Neil Young speaking at a conference for Honor the Treaties in 2014. And I'm wondering who decided to have Rex Murphy be so critical of Neil Young in one sentence and then literally right below it show Neil Young speaking about the rights of Indigenous people, something that is not mentioned in Rex Murphy's entire piece. Yeah, well, I, I hope it is. Uh, so it's probably the, the answer is honestly probably <laughs> the the person who made this web thing Google uh, searched very quickly their archives of pictures and just chose one at random. Uh, it's more fun to think that they're messing with Rex Murphy. That's possible. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we um, uh, we did have also some uh, vote for the news thing as well. So I know we're actually gonna. So if you're uh, if you're listening on the radio, we're gonna we have the the bonus show. You listen to that on the podcast. You can uh, su- subscribe on iTunes or you can go to greenmajority.ca/podcast uh, to find it. So we're actually gonna come back to the Rex Murphy thing in the after show uh, here. But just in the final few minutes, and I'll uh, go back to Brenna again for for first comment. But just uh, we have a thing called vote for the news, and you go onto the website. Uh, it's uh, greenmajority.ca/vote, or just there's a big button that says vote for the news, and we put up some articles we don't have time to get to and and people will let us know that that they wish we had gotten to it and we come back to it so one of them was just talking about nuclear power which we haven't uh, we haven't talked about in a little while but uh, it's a very comprehensive article uh, with a number of sources here talking about, you know, because it's still coming up the idea of, uh, you know, nuclear power being the only the people, the only way to deal with climate change. Uh, and we, we've done a number of really good interviews. Dr. Gordon Edwards came on and explained um, why this is not true. I mean, the most simple reason why it's not true is he was said, well, in the it takes about eight to 10 years to build a new reactor. Um, and we don't have that long. Uh, and the amount of renewable energy you can build in that time, it doesn't take eight years to get online. It comes online almost immediately. So by the time the nuclear reactor comes on, uh, maybe maybe it even would be producing slightly more energy, energy than the amount of renewable you could build in that time, which that that's not even necessarily true. In fact, I think it's likely not true. Um, but you're also missing the fact that you've been generating renewable energy the entire time, like for the majority of that eight years, not just at the eight years when it's completed. So that's one of the reasons. But the, the other main reason here is that is one of the big myths about nuclear power, which is that it is one of the biggest sucks of public money ever there has never in the history of canada been a single nuclear power project that has ever come in on budget and not even close we're talking by like tens of millions and more dollars it is heavily subsidized they get all sorts of public loophole breaks it is the one of the most ridiculous cash holes 
in the history of this country. And, and that's without even getting into the safety issue here. So, so let's take a moment and, and talk about nuclear energy and, and the idea that it is, it is not cheap. I mean, the, the famous line that likes get uh, thrown around was that the, these things when, when it was first coming around, which would be that nuclear power would be power so cheap to meter. And, and that is the opposite of, of true. And yet it looks like we're just about to do a whole bunch of refurbishment here. So, I mean, let's leave even the safety thing for a side a minute here. And let's just talk about uh, the relevant of subsidies. And, and, you know, that we spend so much money subsidizing oil and we spend so much money subsidizing nuclear. Um, and there's basically there's almost no relative subsidy for renewable energy. And it's still almost reaching parity. I mean, it's 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 so frustrating. That's, that's all mm-hmm. I'll say for now. Well, I think uh, what's interesting about it is that uh, what's fascinating is a sort of ongoing idea that uh, that nuclear is our, will be the savior. And, and I think it comes down to really two things. Uh, there's a whole there's a whole subsidies conversation uh, which I'm going to leave uh, for Benna, uh, but the the what I find fascinating is the length of which you can understand uh, nuclear as our savior. I think comes into two sort of things. Uh, the first is an overt lack of imagination um, from a uh, from a stand from a from a grid standpoint. Uh, you know, we've been releasing these, car- uh, these 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 climate cartoons from time to time. Uh, another one's going to come out soon. Uh, re- uh, really about uh, which is about the hard path and soft ener- hard path and soft path energy systems. Um, and what that really comes down to is this idea that nuclear fits within our understanding of how energy generation works. You know, nuclear uh, is a very simple way. Uh, you just you in people's you know in planning people's minds you put it exactly where you had the coal fire power plant it generates the energy and you use the same system it, it fits perfectly into our current existing energy grid which is very massive uh, you put a massive uh, nuclear power plant somewhere uh, and then you distribute the energy everywhere uh, it's very you know it's it, energy is one place energy generation is one place energy produ- uh, use is another place they're not connected and just go for it and so it, it, and nuclear fits so well within the narrative and there's a, and there's a lack of imagination uh, on, on society's part to understand that renewables could, could, could generate energy it just wouldn't look like that you know, mm-hmm. uh, even when we see renewables, really, we have renewables generating them in, a, in, in honestly, in that, that sort of hard path energy way. We we create solar farms and wind farms, um, which is to some extent forcing a a technology that does not require that sort of treatment into a into a into our our oldies because we just don't have the way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second, I think, is that there's just this level of um, uh, obsession with the idea that nuclear power just sounds cool. Right. Yeah. It's just like it's the future. The word nuclear is in it. Um, it's, the, it's the future in the way that Back to the Future was the future. Like it's it's like it's a very old understand. It's a very very old understanding of what the futurism looks like. Right. For sure. But it's still. I, I, I think it's because it has a sort of mass like it massive generation possibility of you know uh, it, it it it's still you still feel that sort of sense to like it's like you know it could be the silver bullet everyone wants the silver bullet people don't want to start, want to improve in increments mm-hmm. renewable is an incremental solution whereas with nuclear silver bullet you want to do that yeah uh, so, Stefan, you might you might almost say that if someone wanted to learn more about that, they could watch something called Climate Cartoons. I, I would say that, yes. Yes, which can be found at greenmajority.ca. Nice plug. Thank you. Brenna? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess you guys covered kind of the the subsidies and, and, the, and the economics about nuclear, but my one kind of point would be um, it's still trying to find a solution that can sustain our current consumption levels, um, and we're not looking at any type of, of lifestyle changes you know we're not 
it's not making way for changes to the way we consume in a capitalist system. So I think that that merits pointing out, although I know that we're just talking more about like the economic case for moving away from nuclear. Mm. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like this thing of uh, someone, you know, who's maybe uh, uh, morbidly obese, um, you know, in a way that uh, is not, you know, the cause of an otherwise health issue, but just someone who just for a long time has an incredibly poor diet and, and, and something where in, in a situation of somebody being in this case where it is actually their fault, right. As opposed to other health, you know, issues and impacts and going to them and saying, well, you know, what can I do doc? You know, I've got, you've told me I have all these heart concerns and that and I'm a great risk for a heart attack and be like, well, you could, you know, change your diet. And well, okay, so you could eat and I'm just simplifying here, but you're like, well, you could try eating salads. There's great, you know, not even just lettuce, there's, you know, beans and all these things, but whatever. And they're like, okay, well it's great, but I don't really like the taste of it. So can you come back to me when you've got a salad that tastes like pizza and hamburgers? And you're like, no, no, no. You just what you're doing is not okay. Uh, and it's not about taking the thing, making the thing that you want okay for you. You're going to have to change. And, and there's really, and again, to come back to this, you know, to, to close full circle, it's a very childish uh, attitude to say, I don't want to change. You have to change reality to suit my preferences as opposed to the other way around. And yet frequently we're, and by we, I mean, environmentalists are the ones who are accused of having a childish understanding of the world. The Rex Murphy article is one of the most childish displays of ignorance ever. And they make a big point of like, look at all his accreditation and he went to all these honors. I'm sure there's a number of things on which Rex Murphy is an absolute authority. And I'm sure he's very, very good at many things. I don't think he's stupid, but he's completely hundreds of miles astronomically out of his league here when he's talking about these issues. And it needs to be pointed out. And I think it's absolutely irresponsible to put him on the air to talk about something that he is demonstrably misinformed about. And talk as if, well, that's Rex Murphy. That's Rex Murphy's opinion. Yeah, that's about as much. I want to hear about as much about climate change from Rex Murphy as I do about Beyonce on on, Rex Mur- on uh, climate change. I actually Their opinion is Beyonce irrelevant. Now, right? In <laughs> fact, there's a good chance that Beyonce has more intelligent things to say than he would. Um, uh, we've but, got about three minutes. Yeah, there, yeah. Right? I was going to actually jump back uh, because because right away the point about uh, how this is how about how nuclear power still allows us to consume the same amount, uh, and I think it actually that that actually ties actually perfectly back into the entire conversation about about our energy systems and and. and Energy grids because and climate cards and climate cards exactly um, excellent plug again uh, because because really what's so what's what's fascinating about the difference is is that when you're looking at uh, n- nuclear power and the fact the reason why nuclear power fits into our system so so well is that it's so it, it's part of this separation of 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 energy generation and energy consumption um, and and it's not a part of this sort of of a smart intelligent grid. Uh, that you know that 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 is the the goal of which is to actually just ensure everyone has like everyone has enough power. Like if we start from the everyone has enough power to survive or whatever's uh, goal, it's a very simple goal. Um, and whereas whereas I feel like the current goal and the goal goal of the system which which you know in which which nuclear someone plays into is the idea of we must consistently continually raising the power to match raising demand. And there's nothing we can do to control demand. It's just not a part of what we're doing. You know, it's a uh, in the line in the conference that we're still writing right now, uh, we make the point that it's a very consumer, uh, consumer uh, supplier producer relationship uh, mm-hmm. in this sort of I- I- right now, which is that we, presu- we, we, cons- we produce as much as we can consume because selling is good. We want to sell more. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas when you move towards a more um, grid management system, and the goal is to ensure that everyone is has enough, and everyone is everyone is 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 is, is good, and, and with renewable energy and stuff like that, you're in a very you're in a much different system. And that system, suddenly reducing uh, reducing your your demand is just as valuable as producing more. 
uh, and because the only goal is that everyone is happy. Instead of this idea of selling, 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 it's meeting needs. Exactly, and and there's both of those things are variables. Yeah, that's that's the big misunderstanding. Both of those things are variables. How much energy we need and how much energy we we produce are both variables. One of them is not fixed. Mm. Needs are not fixed, and the other one is is a variable. They're both variables, and we can impact both of them. And any movement in either one is just as useful. And we're having a one-sided conversation. As usual, only one side of the equation is being looked at. All right. <laughs> and we'll be back with in the bonus show with more. So if you're listening on the podcast, we'll be right back. Other than that, have a good Green Week, folks. Listening to the Green Majority from Brenna, Stefan, and Darren. Have a good Green Week, and we'll see you all real soon. All right, so now we're getting into the bonus part of the program. We had a lot of fun with this. I tried to keep the regular part of the show as calm as possible because we knew a whole bunch of uh, students were listening, but uh, we couldn't help ourselves get a little bit spirited about Rex Murphy. So stay tuned for that. Just a quick reminder, if you can or willing and able to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash greenmajority or go to greenmajority.ca and look for the link. We'd really appreciate your support. Without further ado, though, the bonus show. Well, welcome to the bonus show, everybody. This is uh, Stefan sitting around. We, we're actually joined by our tech, Alex. Thanks, Hello. Alex. Uh, and we're going to go back into this Rex Murphy article because it's awful. Uh, it's the short form version of it. Um, and so the whole thing is that really, so just to give an example of what, in case you don't feel like reading it, I'll give you a TLDR uh, and you can go from there. Uh, so the, the short version is basically Rex Murphy arguing that Calgary was there for other people, for other spaces, and now no one is there for Calgary. Particularly Newfoundlanders. Newfoundlanders. <laughs> exactly. Very particularly Newfoundlanders. Which I think he's, I think he's from Newfoundland. I think that's what he's doing. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Sorry, because you introduced it that way, Stefan, I already have to jump in. That's the, that's the first thing that is so obviously out to lunch about this. Because look at the thing he used for an example. Fisheries. Oh my God! How can you be so blind to the the own? You're constructing an argument against your point with the first thing you reference. The entire point of the fisheries problem is, regardless of whose problem it was, we had a resource and we didn't manage it properly, or it was sorry, it was not managed properly, and then we couldn't use it. And the fact that we started running out of fish doesn't. It's not then. It, it's then not anti. Uh, maritimes to say that we now have to put limits on like you use the exact thing that disproves your entire argument what a clown yeah uh well no exactly and like that's the like what, what i love about this is he also somehow made it managed to make it sound like it's the like canada's fault like he, he honestly managed to write it in such a way that it was like canada was told just told the fishermen they weren't allowed to do things anymore um, but then he says, yeah. So then, uh, basically, the idea is that all the fishery, uh, all the fishermen, then moved out, to, moved out to Alberta. What's confusing to me about the piece, and well, there's many things confusing to me about the piece. What's mo- partially confusing to me about the piece is this weird idea that there was a he somehow gives Alberta credit for needing jobs, as if as if as if being the oil industry and needing jobs was like a value that Calgary had and provided for other people. And now, and and what I also don't understand is when he asks what the rest of Canada is not doing for Calgarians, is that idea we have to somehow? I'm sure Ontario would love to have a something boom that needed thirty thousand new jobs. I'm tr- no one in Ontario was refusing to open up an opportunity to make to have tons of job opportunities. That's like it's. I don't know who. I don't understand how he's blaming the rest of Canada for not providing another sector for these Calgarians to move to, because it's like it's not like BC and Ontario and the rest of the fucking country are not trying to not provide jobs like that's not a goal he does also mention the auto industry specifically and like i think it feels like a jab against ontario he says um 
he's positing that maybe some environmentalists and, and everyday Canadians not in Alberta are saying, oh, maybe a little bit of a cooling off, quote unquote, cooling off in the petro state is not so bad. And then he goes on to say, you won't hear or feel that sentiment when it's the auto industry or any other industry, because he says people think of the oil sands, aren't they dirty jobs anyway? So it does feel like he's being anti everything else except the oil industry. Yeah. So no, it, it's 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 a demonstration of exactly where he's misunderstanding. He actually think like I think like there's a lot of people that I think use these types of talking points that are being disingenuous. But Rex Murphy, I think, actually thinks that this is only like East versus West politics. And that the thing is, he grew up in a time when that was really much more of a thing, when there really was a lot of like petty infighting between the provinces. And there may still be, but it, it's, you're wrong. Like the thing is, if he, if he actually believed that, that the things that of the reasons why people were giving were true, like he just thinks we're all lying. Right. He thinks we're all lying, that there's not really climate change, that this is really just interprovincial petty hatred. And he thinks he's being the responsible one saying, hey, 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 you know, this you're all being children. But no, no, no. Rex, you're being a child because you don't understand that there are actual problems like he's he's dismissing everybody's argument and, and, and thinking that they're fictitious and then making up this other thing about being you're just doing this because you have petty differences. No, that's projection. You think of it that way. And the fact that you don't understand the issue doesn't mean that nobody else does. But like he's just – he's not dealing with reality. He's created a sandbox in his mind, created a bunch of characters and, and caricatures of what people's points are. And then he's making them – it's literally the definition of a straw man argument except that I don't think he's doing it uh, from a point of view of trying to be deceptive. He actually just has no idea what he's talking about. One of the other reasons, just quickly, that this article feels completely irrelevant to me is that he does not mention, like, again, as I said in the regular show, the only mention of honoring treaties is when he takes a jab at Neil Young and David Suzuki, uh, calls them, you know, dim-minded celebrities, um, which, you know, their celebrity in this case doesn't really matter. If, if Neil Young is speaking about honoring the treaties, he's a settler in Canada and also in the United States who's at least talking about the fact that the fossil fuel industry continues to perpetuate colonialism and encroaches on indigenous land. So he doesn't mention this in any other part of his article. So I find it completely irrelevant, <laughs> completely well, leaves out who we need to be following the leadership of in the climate movement. Yeah. Well, not only, not only just, not only that, uh, there's just, uh, you get to this, you get to this other part. So I, I skipped down to the end, uh, and he just straight up becomes a climate change denier by the end of this. Like he, he literally, you know, the end of his article is, is about how Paris ranks over Calgary when it comes to talking pipelines or establishing access for Alberta oil. Like he, why, why is our national broadcaster giving access to someone, you know, like they, when is the homeopath going to get to come on, on, on the CBC and argue about how traditional medicine is killing people? When are all the anti-vaxxers going to get an entire article, uh, for, for the CBC? You know, when are the people who, when are the people who, like, when is BOB going to get to write an article about how the earth is actually flat for the CBC? Uh, you know, how what is it about this old white man that the cbc has decided gets to speak when he on on a subject that he is so obviously out to lunch on he's an og climate uh climate denier he's an old broadcaster that's why yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, like, I think what, what I would say, what I would say to Rex, you know, if and if I could, if I could have a few minutes of his time, would be like, you know, just just 
give me a hypothetical here, Rex. I, 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 I know that you think that you're right, okay? But, but let's just play a hypothetical game, okay? Go through your entire article mold as a thought experiment and, and just, just, just as a thought experiment, write it from the point of view of climate change actually being real. And you'll find that a lot of these things that you find mysterious, suddenly every single one of them makes sense. And what you have to ask yourself is, you're right. If climate change wasn't real, this would be very confusing. You would be right if climate change was fictitious. But as soon as you just for a second just play a hypothetical game and assume it isn't fictitious, every single one of these things makes sense. Now sit back and ask yourself, do you really think it's more likely – that all of these people are as, as insanely, mind-shatteringly petty as they would be if you were correct. Or that you're simply misinformed about a complex piece of science of which you have zero expertise. Do you really think that's more likely? And I'd really love for Alex to jump in here if you can. Before Alex does, I just want to say, uh, Rex Murphy is an old white dude. He has spent his entire time being wrong about things and thinking he's right about them. I'm pretty sure he's, it's, uh, it's, he's pretty confident. It's called Oxum's Razor, right? It's, it would be a giant global conspiracy and so many – all of these questions would be valid. Or you're just wrong about a single science thing. Real, it's really not that complicated. Um, all right. Well, uh, I'm going to do, do a quick uh, raise your hands if you have anything, any last thoughts, because I think we're running out of time here. Alex has, uh, Alex, has okay, Alex, say any five words. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'll say more than five words. I, I've you can been, also uh, say your five words and then also talk about your band for a second. Okay, sure. Yeah. Well, I've been really enjoying uh, learning from you guys, uh, catching up a bit on my environmental knowledge, and I am looking forward to contributing more. Uh, in future uh, future post shows, um, I just I feel like everybody's got some really uh, amazing and relevant things to say, and I'm just like trying to play catch up still. That makes sense. Uh, I have a, I have a suggestion that's going to make uh, that's going to make uh, Darren's heart life a little more hard, but I think it's a good one. Uh, which is that? Can we play an entire? First of all, name your band. I want to play an entire one of Alex's songs to close out this bonus show. Cool. All right. Great. Yeah. Uh, my band is called Versa. And uh, we are playing this weekend at, at Wavelength Music Festival, so that's what I was hyping during the show. And uh, we only have one song online, so that's the song that we'll play, and it's called Waited Long Enough. Amazing. Yeah, so just so we'll do that. Uh, but just by way of um, verbally closing it out and just making sure, Brenna, you're, you're good? I'm good, yeah. You're good? Okay. So just, to, just by way of sort of verbally closing it out, and then we, and then we will do that. It'll be how, oh, we'll get the song from Alex, and we'll, we'll play it out. Um, would be is that... You know, you, we have a contact us form. We have uh, – uh, there's the, the phone line, which I, I've been remiss to sort of promote, but you can, uh, uh, but you can call in and leave us messages. And, you know, and, and, and I think – and this also goes to sometimes because we have, you know, some, some uh, newer volunteers that are uh, – like Sabina and, and Deirdre that are taking part in the, uh, in the bonus show and stuff. And, and, yeah, and it can be very hard. And, and we were even, you know, chatting with, with Brenna a little bit too where she's incredibly knowledgeable about a whole bunch of stuff but isn't quite as much of a generalist as Stefan and I are and, and particularly, you know, me. And part of that is a consequence of simply having done the show and reading a really wide variety of news articles for so long. You just sort of pick a lot of stuff up, right? And so I'm, I'm much more of a generalist but uh, I would wager money that on the areas in which, you know, Brenna knows things, she knows a hell of a lot more than I do. And that's just sort of how knowledge goes, right? You, I, I, I went wide and breadth and and some people go deeper and so what i'm trying to say is that it's okay not to it's okay not to be, sort of be ready to jump on board and it's it's not you know it's, alex shouldn't be embarrassed that he's not an expert on climate stuff he has a band he does lots of other stuff but that goes for everybody right and so if, if we're talking about something and and you you're, you're maybe thinking that something we said doesn't make sense uh or doesn't quite ring true for you but you're like well okay but you know they they sound really confident 
Um, so they're probably right, or, or I don't want to get into an argument with them or something like that. Dead wrong. Dead wrong. Call us on it. Um, because for, A, confidence is frequently confused for accuracy or being correct. Uh, Donald Trump. Um, and the other thing is is that the you know the only way sometimes it, well there's two other things one of them is as well as that sometimes uh, like Sabina did a great job last week of of allowing us to illustrate a point that that is really important but we sort of miss over it because we're used to talking to you know when Stefan and I talk we have we have a lot of the similar knowledge and we're working together so there's things that we'll forget to sort of explain that are obvious to us because we we talk to other people like us so that's really useful but also a lot of times sometimes we're wrong. Right. And so like I, that's why I love like and we're telling Sir to Sabina and, and Deirdre when she comes back, who's on vacation, but will be joining us again soon um, to just like make notes and ask us questions, because sometimes it'll be a really good opportunity for us to like slow down and explain something that maybe we skimmed over that we shouldn't have. Uh, and other times we still make a lot of mistakes. So sometimes your question might point out an, an area of, of genuine screw up. That'll be my final note. Anything else? No. Here's a song. by What song by Alex? Introduce your own song. Yeah, it's Waited Long Enough by Versa. 